Okay, welcome back. It's been a while, huh? When you miss a Wednesday, man, it seems like it's forever. Okay, so did everybody get a chance to read or listen to chapter three? And possibly review two. Uh, two. We've got four pages left essentially to finish up in chapter two, so we should be able to get that pretty quick and then we'll get into chapter 3. Okay, so on page 46, and actually we'll just do anything in the last four pages, 46, 47, 48, or 49. Anything that you underlined, anything that caught your attention, that was convicting or encouraging, Right, and then at the end, he, at the bottom of that page, he says, certainly there are occasions when public prayer also edifies those who hear because it represents their feelings and needs. So yeah, I, I think ultimately we can't say there's only one place to pray, there's only one posture. It's ultimately our hearts, and again, we've said this a few different times, <clears throat> prayer should not always be the same. We should be able to pray even right now, right? While we're talking, uh, to even stop and say, Lord, help me to pay attention, help me to learn from this. Even situations like that, while we're driving, when we're at work, when we're in situations where we might have an opportunity to witness, when we go home with our family or by ourselves, it should take many forms. The, I think the biggest aspect of prayer that's consistent is that it's there. Pastor. So, bottom of 48, where it talks about blindness and different <clears throat> recital of spiritual sounding incantations, this reminds me of the contrast between in Acts 19, there were these seven sons of a Jewish priest who tried to cast out a demon, and they're like, we're just going to use the name of like this magic word, and the demon says, I don't recognize you, and beats them up and throws them out. And the response of the people is to throw away and burn all their magic books. And so there seems to be this big contrast in the New Testament, and even in the Old, between we can manipulate our God into doing the thing that we want if we get the formula right, and we can graciously ask our God, which is the Christian perspective, we can ask God for things we're recognizing he's the one who makes the final decision. Yeah, that's... I think one of the biggest obstacles to navigate in prayer is, all right, so should we, come, should we pray confidently? Yes. Should we pray humbly? Yes. 
Should we pay, pray in submission uh, to God's will? Yes. Should we pray with expectation that he's going to answer? Yes. So we have these somewhat seemingly conflicting things, and ultimately, it's our responsibility to uh, pray in a way that illustrates our belief that God can do it, and yet leaving it up to him to do it, and being determined to praise him either way. And that's the... That's what we have to navigate. How does that look? And again, that might look different at different times. So, you know, something silly, but something also huge to me. I, I, the last two years, I met prospective clients that would have been my, become my biggest client ever. And they ended up going on vacation for a month. One was three weeks, one was four weeks. And when they came back, something had happened in that time that they were gone, and they didn't end up becoming a client. And so this just happened to me a couple weeks, last week, actually. So it's still a little fresh. And so, you know, it's like, okay, Lord, um, that hurts. But I know that you are good, and I know that you are going to work in this and through this, so I need to trust you. It doesn't mean that it doesn't hurt still. It just means that I can still praise him, and that doesn't diminish my trust or my relationship with him. Jesus never said, God never said, the Bible never says that this life is easy, or that it is pain-free, or that you know we won't suffer. It says the contrary in all those areas, right? So... When these difficult times come, how do we respond? And it's not as simple as just what we know. It's, it's how we process that in light of reality. So, I mean, there are so many people that go to church today that profess Christ and yet truly have no genuine experience, no relationship, no communion with him and you see it in well you see it when difficult things happen in their life you see it in how they live the rest of the week and you know it makes you question sometimes you know I thought you said you were a Christian why are you doing these things again not that we're always going to do perfectly all the time but as we grow and mature and understand who God is and how he is and how he wants us to be, that affects how we live. That affects the decisions that we make. That affects how we come to him, how we trust him in every aspect of our life. And so if there's no sign of that, you know, we, we all have to question, do we really know him? So anyways, a little bit of a rabbit trail. But all those things are intertwined. Our prayer life and how we live are directly correlated. Pastor? Yeah. I was thinking a lot of what you're saying is on 53 to 55. Yeah. No, like I was just thinking, like you're talking about prayer is not man's needs, but God's glory. God's not a genie. Yeah, I get ahead of myself. (laughs) Norma? 
Yeah, so if any of you, and this, this was very difficult for me, growing up in a, in a home, not having a dad, and not really having a strong father figure my entire life, it's been very difficult to um, relate at times to a heavenly father because I've never seen that um, in my own life. And if you have a dad and you have a close relationship with him, I mean, I guess in theory it could be a mom, it could be just a parent that you go to when you're troubled, that you go to for advice, that you go to to share good news. When you have that close communion, you find yourself going to them all the time, that is a sign of a good relationship. If there are times where good, bad, or indifferent, you avoid your parent, that's a sure sign that you don't have a good relationship with them. And similarly, our relationship with God. When we can share our joys, our fears, our concerns, our love with Him regularly, that's an illustration of our, of our good relationship with Him. And if anything, so it's funny, I'm terrible at calling my mom. Um, I don't have, I love my mom, but because she's not a Christian, we don't have a really close relationship. And so I have a reminder on my phone on every Sunday afternoon to give my mom a call. But I don't always do it. Sometimes I ignore it. Sometimes I'm busy. Sometimes I think she's busy. Whatever. In my mind, I almost think, I don't know what difference it's going to make if I call. And I think sometimes we can do that with God. Sometimes, if that relationship isn't close, we can say, eh, it's not going to make that much of a difference. But that's not true. And, but that's the, the lie that we sometimes believe. And again, that's where I've had difficulty relating at times because I haven't had that steady person in my life that I can go to when I have difficulties and, and even joys. It's been, God has brought different people at different times for seasons, as they say, but never a constant person. And so if you have that, if you have a parent or a really close friend that you can share everything with and uh, be open, God is that times a million, right? And if you go to this person because you know it's going to encourage them or bless them by you sharing these things with them, you can have a, a correlation Hey, if I'm sharing this thing, these things with this person, I know God loves me even more than that. I need to be sharing these things with him. I need to be praising him. I need to be thanking him. I need to be uh, confiding in him and asking for, him, asking for his grace and guidance in all these different areas. So, anyways, just something I was thinking about this week. And if we have that somebody like that in our life that we go to regularly, we should be going to God even more than that. Because just as that other person, I mean, now, as a parent, I love it. I absolutely love it. When one of my kids comes and asks me a question, it's like, oh, you, you at least see some value in talking to me, right? 
And you know, at different ages, it might be a little bit less, but you know, them coming to you and, and sharing exciting things or asking you questions or asking for help. Oh, as a dad, I think that's one of the best things when they ask for your help to do something. You know, anyways, it's a, it's a great joy. So now, not having been able to relate as a child, I'm beginning to be able to relate as a dad. And I'll tell you, it's an amazing thing when your kids come to you and share everything with you. And it, again, I think there is something, there's a very similar, similar relationship with God. Which, again, we'll be going into in the next chapter. That relationship. Okay, anything else on these last three and a half pages? I'll just read the last, uh, or almost the last, in that last paragraph on 49. It says, You need to pray with a devout heart, with a pure motive, seeking only the glory of God. You also need to pray with a humble heart, seeking only the attention of God, not men. Finally, you need to pray with a confident heart, knowing full well that God already knows what you need. So if we can take anything from this chapter, that sums it up. A devout heart, a pure heart, and a confident heart. Ultimately, what matters in our prayer is our heart. And as our heart changes, our prayers will change, not just the words, but the attitude in them. Okay, so now we enter part two, the pattern of prayer. And this begins the bulk of the book in where we're looking at, again, what John MacArthur refers to as the disciples' prayer, because this was what Jesus told them. Uh, He says, when you pray, pray this way. He didn't say pray these words. He didn't say pray this prayer. He said pray this way. So this is... An example, this is, um, in a sense, a a skeleton, a guide for us to be able to pray and cover all the things that are necessary. And I really appreciate him looking at each one of these, and so I look forward to the conversations. I think it should force us to consider not just the words but the, the makeup of our prayers. So as we look at even this first part, our Father, I think under, it should, we should have a better understanding as to what we're doing. So if we, if we notice, just as, uh, before we get into the actual book, there is an address, right? And most, most of us address God in some way, shape, or form when we pray. And there's a thousand different ways to do it. Um, I have a strong opinion on this. I, I think if we always address God the same exact way, we might be doing it more out of habit than out of heart. Um, something to consider. And I think similarly, if we are always saying the same phrases, 
in the middle, if we're always ending our prayer the same exact way, I wonder if we are simply, um, and I've had conversations with the kids, you know, a prayer is not, hey God, here's what I need, the end. Obviously not those words, but sometimes that's the message that's given in the prayer. Um, there should be more thought. There should be more uh, effort into the words that we say, into how we put them together, into uh, our intent in that prayer. You know, I, we did a, a little bit of a study, and I can't remember if I shared it. I think I may have shared it, um, the YouTube video about amen. Uh, you know, saying amen... I think for most people in a prayer is simply saying, I'm done. Now, does it have other meanings? Absolutely. But I think most of the time, you know, the most common ending to a prayer, and if this is how you pray, I'm not picking on you, I'm just saying, most common prayer is in Jesus' name, amen. We'll talk about that, those specific words, and if that is what's appropriate, but it's almost like this is what I've heard my entire life and I'm really just saying I'm done. The word amen or amen, amin, you know, depending on how you're, if you're pronouncing it from the original language, uh, has multiple meanings and it's not said flippantly and yet we say it so flippantly. Our prayers should not be flippant. All right, Our Father, page 53. Anything on 53 or 54? Okay, Jonathan? Oh, yes, right there in the first paragraph. Prayer honors God, it dishonors self. Yes, I think prayer, when done correctly, should be humiliating. There should be an aspect of every prayer that says, I cannot do anything without you. Please help me. And that's humbling. Especially, I can't speak for every country, but, you know, in this country, be number one, you know, be the best in all that you can do. Uh, you know, just this, this mindset that, you know, it, it's, it's humanism. It's, um, it's the... We are taught all throughout life, especially in public school, to think about yourself first, to help yourself first, and then once you're good, then you can help others. Don't worry about it until you're good. But that's not, that's not what the Bible teaches. Anything else on 53, Norma? 53 is meant like 
Yeah, prayer begins and ends not with the needs of man, but with the glory of God. It should be concerned primarily with who God is, what he wants, and how he can be glorified. So think about that. And we've had this talk, so I'm not going to go in depth. But I think it's worth considering. Generally speaking, if we are traveling, if we are going on vacation, there's a general prayer for safety, and it shows up in different ways. And it's not bad that we would ask for safety or that we would desire safety, though I think we must consider, do we desire safety above God's glory? If we are praying for safety without even a thought of how God might be glorified, then I would say there's a problem praying for safety. So, it's become a little bit of a joke. When we went on vacation, Corey said to me, Bob, I didn't pray for, you, for safety for you. I said, good, thank you. <laughs> Ultimately, we should desire God to be honored in whatever we are pursuing. So, if our car breaks down, obviously that's an inconvenience, but maybe God allowed our car to break down so that we could be a witness to the tow truck driver. I don't know. But if our, if our goal above all is to honor God, then when those inconvenient things come along, we can see it as such, as an opportunity directed by God and look for ways that we can be a good testimony or even be a witness. And that's why reading the Bible, going to church, uh, being around other Christians is so vital because as our mind is informed with truth and the Holy Spirit confirms that, that affects how we speak, how we live, what we do, how we process information, and that enables us to then pray correctly. And, you know, there's many people that I've met in my life that uh, proclaim Christ and yet they don't go to church regularly. They might not go to church at all. They 
believe that uh, as long as they're reading their Bible and praying and talking about Jesus to other people, that they're good. And I would say without fail, there are huge glaring issues in their life that if they were around Christians more, would probably be addressed more likely. And that's, I think, in some instances, even if you do go to church, if you go to a really big church and you get lost in the crowd, it's really easy to hide your sin. It's really easy to hide things that um, maybe you're struggling with because there isn't that really close relationship with somebody or a group of people. And, I mean, it's not impossible to hide things even going to church in a small church. There has to be a level of transparency. There's got to be a level of, of humility. But it's, it starts with understanding, like you said, who God is and being able to acknowledge that we need him. And as we spend more time in church with other Christians, reading the Bible, we become more informed but there has to be a practical application to those things. All right, 55. Anything on 55 or 56? I said 53 and 54. So, so we have... We have uh, we have Jonathan who underlines everything, and then, you know, not to pick on people, but half of you who don't underline anything, right? So we have to find a balance. Anything on 55, Jonathan? That is definitely a convicting thing for me because I have found personally that I cry more after seeing a sad movie than I do about atrocities that happen to real people. So... Yeah, that's, that's very convicting to me. It's not that I have not wept for others that, I, or that have suffered, but not nearly as much as I've wept after seeing a, a heart, uh, what do they call those? Uh, a tearjerker, that's what I'm thinking of. <laughs> so yes, uh, I think if we can cry, if we can shed tears, for others and their suffering and their needs, that's, that's, a, that's a gift from God. That is a, a great, great thing that I don't possess. Rob? I was going to say, don't fret too much. Those movies that designed engineers to tear jerky. Yeah, yeah. The music, the lighting, you know, everything. They get you worked up, that's for sure. Definitely. <laughs> so, Bob, I had also underlined on um, 54 to believe that God is really like some genie waiting to grant our every 
I think it's easy to read that and say, well, I don't think God could hear me. Um, but to step back and like, and like really actually ponder it, I think it's easy sometimes to read through books or the Bible and just read it and not necessarily be like, okay, but do I do that? Right. You know, and actually like take it in and actually meditate on it and like think about it instead of just being like, well, no, I don't think that's cheating. <laughs> like, no, of course I don't think that. So that was just absolutely. All right, so show of hands here. How many of you have, that you can think of have ever at some point prayed as though God were like a genie? <laughs> it's funny. Well, it's not funny. It's sad. Shortly after I got saved, and I don't know if I've said this recently. I know I've said it in the past. Shortly after I got saved and I started praying, all these things that I prayed for started happening. And I was like, this is amazing. And I was, I was talking out loud to somebody, and I don't think that they were a believer, if I, if I remember correctly. And I was telling them, and I said, it's amazing. All these things I asked for, God does it. It's like he's a genie. I actually said that. <laughs> and... By God's grace, he did not strike me down that day. Uh, a couple years later, but, uh, you know. Uh, I think there is that temptation when, you know, like you said, it's not, not that we would say that. But does it come across in our words ever? Does it come across ever in the way we think about God? I think if we're honest, it's happened to all of us at some point in time where we've had an inkling like that. So yes, great point. And I, I think that's why I've said in the past, and I said at the beginning when we started going through this book, if you just read this book to get through it, you'll pick up a couple things. But if you read through this book with a desire to be changed, with a desire to grow, you're going to notice things like that. And you're going to reflect. You're going to say, Lord, I have treated you like a genie. Please forgive me. Help me to see the other areas that I've done that. So there should be a response as we're reading this, as we're convicted, as we're encouraged to thank God and to ask him for forgiveness when we're convicted. All right, 55 or 56. Pastor? So the part about the believer's relationship with God. Which page? have the idea that we have a relationship with God 
we express dependence on him and he will take care of us, we're not going to fall into the error of something like the prosperity gospel because we actually are treating God as a person, not as a object that we can manipulate, maybe? Yeah, and I think it's, it's helpful to remind ourselves, do we have the privilege to say, Father, to the creator of the universe? Yes, as his children we do. However, we cannot forget that he is Lord, that he is king, that he is creator, that he is ruler. We cannot forget those things. So, I think at times we do need to be reminded, hey, he's our father. We can go to him, but at the same time, he's not just our father. He is our God, and we must approach him uh, reverently. Sometimes, I'm, if we only think about him as father, I think we can get too comfortable. Yes, we need to understand ultimately who he is. All right. Anything else on 56 or 57? Jonathan, I know you got something. Yeah, I underlined a lot on these two pages. What I started doing, because I was underlining so much, I would put a star by the things that I really wanted to make sure I talked about. So if you find yourself underlining a lot, use stars, and then that way you're, you know, you can still have the underline for you, but maybe the star is for, uh, for sharing, for, for participation. All right, let's go to 58 or 59. forgot to send out the messages. I'll, I'll send out the messages that were associated with this as well. I think it's helpful because obviously he goes in, he says a few things that are in addition to what he puts in the book. And um, I don't love the, the guy that does the audio for the audio book. Listening to the message, I think, was helpful in addition to reading the book. So just a little bit of a supplement, pulls a couple more points together. So I'll share that this week. All right, page 60 or Yep.
Yeah, on, on that note, I think it's good to remind ourselves that when we are saved, we, received a, we receive a portion of our inheritance. In a, in a sense, we have freedom from sin, but not completely. That comes later. In a sense, we have communion with God, but not completely. That comes later. In a sense, we are able to reflect him, not completely. So in many instances, our inheritance we've been given in part, and it's almost as though it's a down payment as, here, this is evidence that you're going to get what is coming in the future completely. And I think it's evidence to us and it's evidence to the outside world when they see, when you see someone and they reflect what we've read in Scripture, that is a tremendous blessing. Uh, the Gospel Primer says that each believer that we encounter is a portion of our inheritance because God is using each of us to help each other along the way. Uh, you know, thinking of Pilgrim's Progress. We are helped along our way. And sometimes it's through rebuke, sometimes it's through encouragement, sometimes it's through teaching. It comes in many different ways, but we are all on that road. And when we can go down that road and, and encounter other people that are on that same road, we see God working in them and in us, and it's, it, it's tremendous. But it's exciting because it's infinitely greater in the future. So we just get a little taste now. All right, 60 or 61? Pastor? Uh, so on 60 under, as a guiding father, it says a father, I'm sorry, as a gracious father, a father is gracious to his children. And then at the very bottom of 61, it talks about the link. I think these two are tied together. It dispels fear when we remember that. He says false gods or false religions are characterized as vengeful and jealous. And their worshipers are trying to appease them. But knowing the true God is our father dispels all such fear. I guess I was reading that and I was thinking about the verse in the Old Testament where it says, the Lord your God is a jealous God. And so I wonder if I were to write that paragraph, if I would have phrased like, as long as we are obeying him, something along those lines, because God is not vengeful and jealous toward his followers with whom he is pleased. But I think, I think, and I think this is what he's getting at, they can never really be sure if their God is pleased with them or not. Right. And our God being pleased with us is... We're expected to obey, but it's ultimately on the basis of what Jesus has done. So we don't have to question, is God angry at us because we're sinners? But we still are supposed to obey and follow after him. And so just thinking through some of those dynamics kind of picks it up in the bottom of 63 too, I think. Well, in, in the middle of 61, he says um, in that first paragraph, God is the Father in heaven to those who trust in him. So... Yes, we can have that gracious Father, but it's for those who trust in him, that trust has to be there, right? So saying what you're saying, that's the caveat. Yeah. 
I guess I'm thinking priest of Baal, really devout priest of Baal, is still cutting himself up with knives and you know dancing into a frenzy because he's trying to get the God's attention, trying to make sure the God is happy. Whereas for us, we have a relationship with God so we don't have to have that fear, but God is still jealous, maybe not toward us, but of us, like if we chase after other gods, whereas their gods were like jealous and vengeful toward them no matter what they did, I guess. Right. I mean, their, their gods were a reflection of themselves. Right. Our God is a reflection of perfection. So, and that, yeah, it's hard to relate to that. It's impossible to relate to that. <laughs> Norma? No, I cannot explain that. <laughs> uh, the really short version would be that God in that moment is putting our sin on Jesus' account and pouring out his wrath against the Son in a way that puts the full weight of what we deserve on Jesus but doesn't make Jesus not God. Yeah, just really quick. The the most helpful way that is that um, that I've tried to understand some of these things, you know, like Jesus praying, like Jesus, you know, on the cross, and at different times, sometimes knowing, sometimes not knowing. The way that I've reconciled it in my mind, and I I'm not saying this is absolute gospel, but I'm trying to kind of comprehend it, is that Jesus, to a certain extent, again, as far as we can understand, his body is like us, but his spirit is God. So we have a spirit. He had a spirit. It's just that his spirit is God. So just as we have our body, our spirit, our mind, and the Holy Spirit, once we're saved, he has the body that's the same as us, but he has the mind. And that's, that's the tricky part. Sometimes it seems like it is the mind of God. Sometimes it was the mind of man. Um, but his spirit is God's spirit. Is, so... There's, there's a huge difference there between him and us because it is God in a human body. And so when we see these acts of humanity, it's as though that is what we're seeing. We're seeing the humanity of Christ. And I think it's important for us to see that because of all that was said, both Old Testament and New. We must see that he was human to understand that his sacrifice was legitimate. But then we also see his divinity. And, you know, I don't think we can reconcile it with words necessarily, but we do see both aspects in his life. Jonathan? Oh, Rob. 
that moment in time is when God separates himself for the most part from Christ where he's on his own he's been punished for all the sin and he's more like us than he is like God so there's a moment where in the punishment that he's God separates himself from from Christ and therefore the, the language changes because he's he's been separated did you want to say something <laughs> sure. <laughs> 30 minutes to an hour just because I feel like, uh, like, try to explain the Trinity in five minutes. Right. Here's an error. God is like water. Sometimes he's ice, sometimes he's water, sometimes he's water vapor. That's not the biblical concept of God as a Trinity, but that's like an idea that comes to mind. So I just think we might want to sit down and, you know, talk through that, all those things a little bit more. I'm not saying your answer wasn't good or Bob, your answer wasn't good. I just think that because it's so important to understand the relationship between those things and because it's so easy to fall into these errors because we're trying to search for simple explanations of things that are mysteries, I think that we got to be careful. So that's just, that's just my gut reaction. It needs more time to sort sure. of out. So. Yeah, and, and in the end, a lot of these things, we're not going to be able to come to a perfect conclusion in this time chatting about them. I mean, even up to this point, we've discussed a number of things. These are things that we need to continue to chew on and pray about and read and, and study and, and talk to other people about. If our mind is made up on everything, on, on really almost anything, apart from you know, the handful of things that are 100% uh, not, not up for grabs, uh, you know, not... Uh, can't think of the word. Non-negotiable. There we go. You know, we've got a handful of things that are non-negotiable, but we've got quite a few things that are not as clear and need to be chewed on. So. Oh, yeah. So let's do this. It's it's time, but let's. We've only got a page and a half. So, last last call, so to speak. Sixty-two, sixty-three, or sixty-four. Nope, we already passed 60. <laughs> now, I got, a, I got one of my stars, so I'm going to read this. So on page 63, whatever you seek at near the bottom, whether it's peace, fellowship, knowledge, victory, or boldness, God has an abundant supply in the heavenlies. We only need ask our Father for it. And I think that's where the, the Father aspect is most relatable is that we can go to him for anything, for everything, and he wants us to. All right, any final? You have one more shot, Jonathan. Pick one. Bob? Yes. Thank you. We got to go. Okay. Thank you so much. Hasta luego. Speak now or forever hold your peace, Jonathan. What you got?
Yes. Well, we can talk about it afterwards. All right, let's pray. Father, thank you for the privilege, for the opportunity to call you Father. Please continue to change our hearts, change our minds, change our responses to this life based on truth, based on a right understanding of who you are and what you desire for us. Forgive us for thinking we know and being dogmatic about things that are not as clear. Forgive us for being flippant in our prayers and for taking you for granted. Please continue to show us the areas of our prayer life and our, of our Christian life that are inconsistent, that are dishonoring. Please make us more like Christ. By your grace, by your guidance, let your light shine in us and through us. Lord, be exalted by these things, we pray.